Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. Hello. And uh, we have a very special guest today. Distinguished even, I would say. It's a little, we, it's a little bit much for me. <laughs> let's not go too far. <laughs> no, we, we, have, we have Sinway Xavier with us today, and this is, Sinway is a longtime friend, and he is also had a significant influence on our industry visually as an artist, a very accomplished traveler as well. And some of the best adventures I've been on my, in my life have been with Sinway. So thanks for being with us today, man. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's an honor and it's great to be back in these offices after a little hiatus. Yeah. I got some things figured out. <laughs> <laughs> we all, we all got to do that, man. We all, well, yes, that is a necessary part of living, right? Is yeah. learning about ourselves so much. And I, yeah, that has definitely been my life for the last few years. And a special thanks to this week's supporting sponsor, ARB. The latest episode of ARB Experiences stars Land Cruiser Aficionado and my good friend, Kurt Williams. The Baja 1000 competitor has been a few places and seen a few things. His travels span Siberia, Greenland, and the Americas all the way down to Ushuaia, as well as several crossings of Australia. Kurt says of his adventures, anything can happen out there. Just one part not doing its job can ruin a whole trip. Investments in quality components pay back exponentially. You can watch Kurt's full story at arbusa.com. Uh, I would love to start off with the story of your life because it's I've crazy. Heard, it's, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard some of it and it also totally ties back into, I think a lot of why you're so great at what you do and your experiences in your life, but kind of give us the the start for how was, how was Sinway made? Well, I mean, I was born the son, you know, the illegitimate son of a Colombian drug lord. And my mom didn't want me to grow up in that life. So she ferried me off. I was hiding out in Mexico City for a while, ended up in Eastern Colombia for a while, and, you know, really ended up in Montana to grow up. Yeah. And, you know, I, my mom was just this person that had this very big concern about how her son grew up and knew that she didn't want me growing up in this, this world that was evolving in the early seventies. Sure. And so, yeah. And she was always a traveler too, and an adventurous person. So it was just instilled in me to, to go out and have fun. Yeah. This is a great memory, but we, you and I were standing in the kitchen of our mutual friend, Micho Escobar, and we're, his dad is there. And this conversation comes up about your mom and you being from Colombia, the pieces start to come together and Micho's dad, which I, I so apologize. I'm forgetting his name right now. Billy Escobar. Billy. Yeah. Billy's like, I think I know your, your mom. And they had actually met. Yeah. So that was wild because, you know, 2014, you know, 40 years after they were hanging out, had gone to school together, were in the same social circles of Bogota, you know, they'd known each other, gone their separate ways or whatever. Um, and it was wild because his mother and my grandparents were friends at the country club and it just so sitting, amazing. yeah, sitting yeah. there in that small world explosion. Yeah. I could, yeah. I could feel that when we were there in that kitchen of just this connection back with your family's past. I mean, and Billy is just like one of the coolest guys on the planet, this amazing architect in Columbia and his son, of course, is one of our closest friends. And it was just so neat to see 
that all come together. Now, how, how do you feel that like Montana shaped you for the traveler you became and the creative you became? Well, Montana, growing up in Montana was, was really special. You know, I grew up in Bozeman and it was being around the college town, but also at a time when, you know, Alex Lowe lived down the street from me. Tom Youngst was my ski coach. Wow. Scott Schmidt was in and out. And it was this time of Gordon Wiltsey was there, National Geographic photographer. It really opened my eyes to you could do whatever you wanted to do. Mm. There wasn't this hat, this go to college, get a job, die. Yeah. You know, it, it was go have fun, go have adventures, do whatever you want to do and everything else will fall in place. And it's not the easiest route, but it was the route that I chose. Yeah. And I was really lucky that it's, it's worked out. Okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 uh, if I remember you started snowboarding as a snowboarder and then things evolved from there. Well, I skiing, skiing, I was a skier, sorry, skier. So yeah. I was a, that's probably I'm, an insult. I just, no, 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 I just no. like totally insult. I mean, no, I snowboard now. <laughs> okay, got it. I, 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 I snowboard. Like, I, think that, I think that's a problem. <laughs> Freaking out. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I, you've I always had now. Toyotas right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm a Toyota guy. No, um, no, I started off skiing and I was really lucky that, you know, my mom found a way to get rid of my little brother and I on the weekends. She'd drop us off at 830 in the morning and we'd go on our ski team, our Mighty Mites or whatever it was. It'd be gone until five o'clock that night. Cause she was always late picking us up. And I, you know, it's, it was, it was her way of getting rid of us for sure. the weekend and it was great. You know, I, all winter long, I was on the mountain, learned my independence there. And it, I really blossomed as a, as a skier, as an athlete. And when I was probably my late teens, um, I was pretty good racer. But my coach said I'd be an even better, it was Tom Youngst at the time, I'd be an even better free skier. And he introduced me to the ridge at Bridger Bowl, which is this section. At the time, it was, you know, you go up there and you had to have an avalanche beacon and a shovel and a probe. And this was, you know, the late 80s. There was nobody up there. And it was the best snow on the mountain. And, you know, at the time they called it extreme skiing. And it opened my eyes to this whole new world. And it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. and. You know, from that, I, I became sponsored by the North Face and um, I met Conrad Anker, who was my team manager at the time. And he really pushed me from just being an extreme skier to being a ski mountaineer, which was going out and climbing mountains to ski. You know, there's many first ascents in Montana, particularly some in Alaska. It was this new frontier of going out and doing things that no one else had ever done before. Yeah. And that's always been important to me. Whether it's then, it, that was my creative outlet, yeah. was seeing a route, even with binoculars, or you know, we'd go out in little planes and fly these mountains in the fall or the spring and look at these lines. And that was my creative outlet was going, oh, we could put that together mm. and go ski that. And you know, as, as I got older, it became more and more dangerous. Had a lot of friends die. Mm. Alex Lowe, who was a mentor of mine, taught, who taught me my rope work and a lot about mountaineering. He was killed in a avalanche in the Himalaya. Um, Trevor Peterson from Canada, who was extreme skier, very accomplished, was also killed. Doug Coombs, Montana Jackson guy, was killed in La Grave. And it just was this, I was at an age where mortality was becoming very, I was becoming very aware of it. Mm. And I just backed off and I took a nice cushy job with K2 Skis, who was my sponsor at the time, and got out of the sponsored skiing thing. 
And it was, you know, it's when I started snowboarding, actually, back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and it just growing up in Montana, that was a little bit of a digression, but growing up in Montana, it's a very bootstrap place. You just, you know, for before I was sponsored by the North Face, I had duct tape all over my, my non-Gore-Tex kind of waterproof stuff. It was just, you did whatever you had to do. I mean, it, I remember a really good friend of mine, he'd ski in Carhartt, you know, and it was, you just wow. did it. It worked. Yeah, yeah it worked. worked. Yeah, yeah. It got a little heavy by the end of the day, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, Amazing. And, um, and I think that that carries through and there's also, you know, a little bit of the, the humbleness of letting your actions speak for, for what you do. You, do. you don't really talk about it. You just do it and let it, you know, you become that guy that, that did that thing. And yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was really important to grow up that way and have that in my back pocket. And then that started to open up the opportunity for some photography, right? Being around photographers as I was as a, as a professional skier, I was always exposed to it. And once you're a professional athlete, you become pretty unemployable. Like you <laughs> sure. can't have a job. Like when I worked for K2, I was the worst employee ever. I mean, there's still, I'm sure there's still people in that corporation that see my name come up and I'm like, God, <laughs> you know, that guy, not that guy. <laughs> winner of 95, <laughs> never again. Yeah. I mean, we, cause you know, like I was friends with all of the pros, whether they're snowboard or skiers like Glenn Plake, Adam Merriman, you know, and I had this Volkswagen van that I had all full of skis and, and snowboards. And by the end of the winter, you know, Glenn Plake had drawn on the side of it and yeah. Adam Merriman had I think it's spray painted on it, you know, and it, I returned it. Was this the K2 van? The K2 van. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the K2 van. You know, it had added flair. It's extra added flair that I, I got into a lot of trouble. So, you know, but those were, I mean, it was fun and it, but it completely unemployable. Yeah. And I figured out pretty quickly that I could make money with photography. And again, back to my mom, she had always been a photographer as a hobby. Didn't know I'd that. Always had a, a, a dark room in my house. Uh, that's you know, pretty cool. Learning from her. And I always thought like, oh, cool mom, like crazy hippie moms in demography, like look at her and the chemicals. <laughs> and the, you know, it was really a natural progression for me to grab a camera yeah. and start making money. With. Oh. And I shot for Burton for snowboards and a trans world snowboarding, that whole thing. And that's why most people, a lot of people think like, oh, you're a snowboarder because my photography career was started with snowboarding. Got but it. Snowboarding was like kind of becoming a thing around that time. Oh, well, it, I mean, it, it was the new. It was huge. Yeah. And I was really lucky. I was at a time in Vail, Colorado, where Ninja J. Isaacs and Adam Merriman and J2 and Steve Yalters and Joe Curtis, like they were, it was the epicenter of snowboarding. And those were my pals. You and know, did, so. Didn't you say you, you were living like on a landing of like the stairwell or something like that in a, in a rental house? I mean, that's an amazing story too. The thing about this landing of the stairwell was <laughs> I took this place to live sight unseen <laughs> On a chairlift in Utah. <laughs> and my buddy goes, oh, I've got a place open up in Bail. And at the time, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, right. working. You know, I had my, my van. I could get up to any resort I wanted to. I had, you know, an expense account to buy lift tickets wherever I wanted. But I had a season pass at Vail because all my buddies were there. And he's like, Sinway, I got this spot, this loft opening up in Vail. It's right on the bus route. It's, it's awesome. And loft. Yeah, totally. Loft. I, I actually asked him, I go, loft, does it mean it has, you know, three rooms? Da, 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 da. He's like, yeah, 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 three walls. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got three walls. It overlooks the living room, but it's got three walls. <laughs> I no, no worries. I get there, literally the wide spot in the stairs. <laughs> it's footprint 
was a queen size bed. <laughs> and I had this van full of stuff that I'd moved in there with. And it, I, I was, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I figured it out. I ended up being there for like two and a half years, three years, probably. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's a good lesson though. I mean, you don't necessarily always need a bunch of stuff and it kept you outside and doing yeah. it. It was, I mean, it was great. Like I had really fun roommates and yeah, it was a time of, you know, I was getting my photography career going. I was, you know, I was working in a snowboard shop. I was waiting tables. I was working construction in the summer, like whatever it took to keep the snowboard thing going. Yeah. Back you to know? the Montana growing yeah, yeah. up. Exactly. Just, well, just doing it. You were just doing it. Yeah. And it seems like you've never been really overly attached to things. It seems like you've recognized maybe from that landing in bail that that stuff really just encumbers you. Stuff slows you down no matter what. And it goes back. It's funny when, when I started making money, you, you can see it through my Instagram or you see my rig go from, you know, I think it was a very, it was my five speed Land Rover right. without a rack. That was the first car I knew that you had. Yeah. Yeah. The five speed. Because I don't even think I had a driving license when I I was watching you with that on like Expedition Exchange right. on Portal and everything. Yeah, the, num- so- the number of people who bought a Discovery One because of Sinway, including both of us. Yeah. <laughs> I- I'm yeah. actually pretty sure that I bought my first camera because of Sinway. I didn't awesome. even know you at that point. I love that. I love that. So yeah. the thing is that, you know, like you can watch this evolution of no rack, no bumper, just this truck. Then it gets the rack, it gets the bumper, it gets the lights, it gets the high lift jack that I never used. It's like in, in the most, uh, the, the worst spot. Place, yeah. yeah, the worst spot. <laughs> totally like, rusted. Exactly. Doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. Like, wouldn't work. If, like, those things are so stupid. <laughs> and then there's my second discovery, and it just had everything. I bought it built that yeah. Mark Oliveris built, and it was beautiful and it was perfect. That was the but automatic it, one, right? Yeah, and it had everything on it. Yeah. There. And then I got a motorcycle uh-huh. and I realized I didn't get all this stuff. Really, yeah. And I pared it down and things were quicker. Packing was quicker. Traveling was quicker. When I got to camp, I was relaxing faster than anybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and that evolution goes to my D90. When I got the D90, it didn't have anything. Yeah. And I literally like would go in there. It was one duffel bag with all my sleeping stuff, a box with my camping stuff. And I was done. Yeah. You know, if I couldn't fit it in my motorcycle panniers, I didn't want to take it. What bike did you have? Well, I started off with that KTM. Oh, yeah. Remember that KTM 640 that I bought here, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I bought it here in, in Prescott. Cool bikes, um, the worst bike to ride. Ever. Cool, super cool bike. Like my hands were numb. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It would be great as a uh, paint shaker at Home Depot. Cool paint shaker, um, child proofer. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like definitely surprised I had a kid after owning that bike. Um, and then I got the uh, the Triumph Tiger, which I also got. I remember here. that one because yeah. we put all those parts on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Over there. Yeah. yeah, you helped me out with that. That's right. That was a pain. That's when I learned the importance of anti-seize. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but then I ended up is actually on, on that Columbia trip that we were talking about where we met Billy Escobar. I was speaking to Micho and he's like, okay, what, you know, what bike would you like to have? And of course, Colombians, they're the hardest people in the world to deal with. You know, you, like I want an 800. That's what I'm used to riding. Show up, Bogota. <laughs> remember and that. Do you remember? I mean, here's this GS adventure. <laughs> The biggest, it it's the, the biggest. goal wing of adventure bikes. <laughs> you might so, as well have a goal wing sometimes. You might as well. And it, we were out for 
14 days? If we were. 10, 14 days? We were. Did it look like that going that. for our <laughs> listeners or viewers on Except YouTube? The one we stuffed into the back of a DC-3. Yeah. I mean, it was the biggest bike I've ever ridden. I remember and that. You're basically doing, you know, close to 3,500 miles. Oh, yeah. From Bogota through, through the northern Andes out to Venezuela. Yep. By the end of that trip, I was sold. I mean, I caught it on fire. <laughs> I dropped caught it, it on fire. Oh yeah, it was stuffed. Note so, to self: Don't let Sinway borrow my motorcycles. <laughs> well, it wasn't even your fault. Yeah, it, it wasn't was just my like, fault. It was it filled was, with like grass and stuff. Yeah, the, this there was grass between the um, the engine bar, between the engine protector bar thing and and the, and the cylinder, cylinder head. And I'm riding along, and and Micho just starts waving his head <laughs> like this, and I'm like, what, what? And he points, and he starts throwing dirt on my bike to put out the, the fire. <laughs> That was so funny. I mean, uh, yeah, that I do insane. remember you successfully jumping over and like an like a water canal too. And I mean, the, you didn't stick the landing, but you did jump it. I got it over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you totally did. But that's the thing. Like, I, I was sold on this this idea of like, as long as you're moving on those those big bikes, yeah. the BMW, the twelve hundred. As long as you're moving, they're incredible. The yeah. scariest thing about those bikes is putting gas in them. Yeah. No, there. I mean, that was incredible. The mud and stuff we went through oh. on that trip. Everything that we, and of course the, the only 800 that was with us ended up in the bottom of the river. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. No, that wasn't, that was a hell of a trip. No yeah, doubt. Sure. That was incredible. Yeah, that was incredible. But yeah, it goes back, you know, there's a, there's an old Maasai saying that another mentor of mine told me is the less, you know, the more you carry on your back. Yeah. And it's completely true. And mentor of mine, Brett Crystal, he walked one time from Boulder, Utah to Santa Fe, Mexico, which is about 350 miles, nothing but a satchel, a buck knife and a bull blank, you know, and it was a test to see if he could do it, mm. but he could do it because he knew how to find food. He knew how to find shelter, all those things. I'm never going to be that guy. Yeah. I'm into it. I like my down sleeping bag at night <laughs> yeah. and I like my warm coffee in the morning. Sure. There's necessities, <laughs> but, right? Yeah, yeah. There's necessities, but you but know, at least you, you know what those necessities are. Yeah. When you pare it down, you can go a lot faster. Yeah. Now for those that are listening, uh, because of Sinway's time as a photographer, I think it would be interesting to talk about for a few minutes just some things you would help, you would recommend to those that are listening that want to begin to capture their adventures. Any just general advice that you can give? I mean, we're not going to ask you what camera you use, but it's more like, you know, what are some things that people can think about when they travel to take a better photograph? The thing I hear most about people that are getting into photography is they regret not taking a photo. And that's what I tell everyone. Even, you know, when I'm on a trip, they're like, oh, Sinway, it's great that you're here. You're taking all the photos. I'm like, take your photos. You've probably heard it from me. Yeah. You know, it's like, take your yeah. photos because I'm a one perspective, you know, and my perspective is, is my trip. And I hear it all the time, even on those trips where I say, make sure you take your own photos. We get to the end of it and they say, oh, I wish I would have taken more, more photos. And it goes for me too. You know, even on my trip today from, from Los Angeles on my way back home to Colorado, there's some beautiful light with, mm. the, the, with the saguaros, but I was trying to make it here. And I, there's a couple of photos that I regret not taking today. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. Know? sure. But you can't, you know, there's that balance where you still have to get things done, but never regret not taking a photo. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple of double negatives, but it's always a bummer when you get done with a trip of any, you know, whether it's a family trip to Sayulita or it's a huge adventure across Africa. 
megapixels are not going to expire. You know, you're not going to run out of them. Shoot. Yeah. Just shoot those photos and edit when you get home. The other thing, you know, is I always say, don't be afraid to be that guy that starts wide and moves in tight because when you're home and you're editing, you're able to you know, decide which photos the best, which tells your story the best, you know, and get back to the, the old fashioned thing of the slideshow when you get home, mm. uh, you know, like invite your friends over and show them what they did. Don't just get lost in this digital world of sharing it on Instagram. I like and, that one. Cause I have know. like so many photos of so many adventures that are just on a hard drive somewhere. And yeah. And you like who, what, why, why did I even do that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's transcending the, this digital world that we've landed in where, Oh, I, I put it on Instagram and I got my likes. So I'm done. It's like, yeah. no, like invite your best friends over, have a dinner party and throw it up on the screen and have them do it for you. when they get back from their trip, even if it's their kid's trip to freaking Scottsdale, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good way to share things. And then yeah. you, you get more of a story than some, you know, 200 word caption. Oh, that's really good advice. And it, you know, it makes me think about when I first started seeing your photographs, this was about the time we were starting Overland Journal. And I remember seeing some of your images, I think on Expedition Exchange, if I'm not mistaken. But I remember seeing those photos and thinking, this is exactly what I want Overland Journal to look like. Uh, because you you had this ability to introduce a vehicle to a scene, but retain all of the wildness of the place. And I think that that's something that people oftentimes neglect is that they get so focused on the model, which is the truck, yeah. that they that they forget to to make it a part of its environment. And that's one of the things that I think you do so well. Yeah. I've always thought your photos actually had a scene. I mean, yeah. so many images that I see today, let's use Instagram for an example. If I see another three quarter shot of a forerunner, my head is going to explode. Like I'm going to send, well, them, what's, send them pictures of your dog. I'm going to send them pictures of my dog, but like, what, what's the context? What, what, what actually was the trip? What did you do? Where were you? Like, you can't tell, I think most days. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about your photos is they have emotion to them. They have a place, they have a purpose. Um, I don't know. I've always liked that. It's not about the truck. Yeah. People hate hearing that because they put so much of their own identity into this truck that they've spent so much money on, so much time built. But the reality is truck's a backpack. Truck's a carabiner. It's a tool to get us to a place to do things that we love. Yeah. And whether that is, you know, for some people, it's sitting around a campfire and telling tall tales. For other people, it's going canyoneering or going rock climbing or, you know, whatever it is, peak bagging. But the tool is just a truck. You can go out and do that in in any manner of ways. Mm. And it's just like the truck, it can be any truck you want. It can be a, you know, a 20 year old Tacoma. Yeah. You don't have to sleep in it. You don't have to have some fancy bridge that slides out. If you're in this place that you love and you're psyched about it. Like you should be psyched. It's not about the truck. You know, it's never been about the truck for me, even though I I fell into that trap of all the gear and building it up and and doing it. It's always been about how far away I can get from people. It's not that I don't like people. It's just, I like them a whole lot more when they're not around. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, so how far away can I get? And it's like, that's where I want to (laughs) be. And a special thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. 
GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI outdoor gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at GCIoutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. Well, it's interesting because when you drove up today, you're in a totally stock Range Rover Mark III and you take it off-road all the time. Well, yeah, it's just don't need, you don't need anything else. It works exactly for how you want. Totally. There's not a single drawer, not a fridge in there. It's like, (gasps) (laughs) not a rack. And on that bombshell. (laughs) No max tracks. Hey, no. (laughs) No, I mean, like you just like, it's all about, you know, like whatever that whole thing back to your thing about these photos of trucks that are totally built with a whole catalog on them. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want everything in the front runner catalog, nothing wrong with front runner. You guys are all right. But it's the wrong way to go about doing things. Yeah. You know, start, start from what do I love to do out there? Is it, is it climbing? Is it mountain biking? Is it sitting around the campfire? Is it, you know, maybe you're my buddy Steve Garrow out of uh, out of Flagstaff. He had a horrible accident. He can barely walk, but he goes out and he likes to just be in a place, sit around the campfire, and take star pictures and you know ride Stick his little in, push yeah. bike. You know, it's like whatever it is. Yeah. Like go backwards and build your truck to the things you enjoy doing. Yeah, I think a lot about the vehicles that I've built and the amount of money and time that I have. I can never get back. Yeah, putting stuff on it that I didn't need. And right now, I mean, the Defender out back, I mean, it's got a, a winch on it. That's literally the only thing it has on it. Totally. And it, you just don't need much more than that. Oh. Not if, it doesn't mean don't ever do anything to your vehicle. Because there yeah. are, I mean, when we crossed the glaciers in Iceland, we needed the vehicles to be a certain way. But for most places, you don't, it isn't the priority to your point. Let's make the priority about the experience. If we happen to have extra time and extra money, Maybe make the truck look a little cooler, but to me, you know, it's like all that stuff on it. It goes back to like all this this gear. It's too it's too much these days. Yeah, where all this stuff it it weighs you down, right? It slows you down. Yeah, you know. So back to the thing, it's like my photographs have always been about the experience, where you are, what you're doing. You know, the the Columbia thing, like stuffing those GSs into a DC three, putting them on a little yeah. little canoe to cross the Meta River. Yeah. It's it's about that experience. And I, I really hope that people start getting themselves into these situations where they're out of they're pushing their comfort zone. Yeah. You know, where it's not they're not following a GPS track. I mean, to this yeah. day I don't use a GPS. Never have. You know, never have. It's I love paper maps though. Like to me, I think a, a large part of the experience of traveling, you know, by vehicle or just traveling is getting away and looking at my phone and looking at the little the little screen like that's that's not what that is to me. No, um, not at all. And and I don't think you get better at navigation if you don't just shoe those kind of electronic aids. Like I'm not saying that I don't have them. I'm not saying that I don't mm-hmm. have Gaia on my on my phone and I don't plan trips and to know where I'm going. But then I know where I'm going and I like to actually. Okay, cool. Well, I know maybe like 10 miles I need to make a right. And let's see where that goes. I mean, sometimes that doesn't always work out, but, but, but that's, it's part of the, that's adventure. You yeah. know, it's like adventure. I think the definition is you know, an undertaking with an unknown outcome. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the fun of it. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things you kind of said is like, you know, why are you doing this? You know, to, to paraphrase, like, 
are, are you going hiking? Are you going this, you know, whatever you're doing? I think there are a lot of people that just go out and drive. Like that's all they do. Like, you know, like looking at some of my friends and I'm trying to think like, man, what do a lot of my friends actually do in this new thing, this, this new version of overlanding? And the only thing that I can think of is content creation. Cause that's all they talk about is they're talking about the gram. They're talking about getting the photo of the truck. And it's like, is it that dopamine or that serotonin hit of the, the 12 squillion likes or something? You know, like what, what are you actually doing other than just sitting in your car for 12 hours a day? I don't know. That's just maybe something that was kind of a little bit enlightening for me. But okay. So there's, it's funny that you say the dopamine. And I think that there's something to be said about the, you know, that dopamine of the likes on Instagram or yeah. whatever. But it's also something to be said about that dopamine because there's nothing wrong with driving yeah. to get to that spot. And then the dopamine that you get with the sun rising or the yeah. sun setting or getting through that technical spot, mm. you know, and you get out to this spot that you haven't seen a photo of, that the trail's grown over. Like, I'm weird because yeah. like sometimes I... Like lately I've found myself like as I move maybe a little bit further away from being a, you know, my primary career being in media, I love to put my camera down. I love to actually like, oh, here's that sunset. Okay. I, I know when the light's going to be right. I know when I need to take that photo. So I'm going to spend the other 15 minutes and just like enjoy the sunset. Oh, totally. I like that. No, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a super important part of, of being, and especially mm. being a photographer, is knowing when to take something in for yourself and when to take something that you're going to share with other people. Yeah. Because to me, that's a, that's an important part of being a photographer is, is you're taking something that you're you're going to share with other people to hopefully inspire to mm. get outside, yeah. take care of the environment a little bit, you know, that sort of aspect mm. of photography, you know, that the, the world's a... a wonderful place and you get out and do some things. Yeah. That's interesting. It makes me think about that idea of when you're taking a photograph, you don't get to experience it yourself. And, and maybe that balance you're talking about is what actually makes you a better photographer or helps the balance yeah. of putting the camera down for five seconds and just taking it in. Putting the camera down for five seconds, also using something that you've never used before. So, you know, we're all used to using you know, our, our digital cameras these days. So sometimes it's like, oh, I'm going to shoot this with, you know, I have a Leica M2. Mm. Doesn't. Mm. Mm. We can talk Leicas all day, boy. <laughs> I don't know much. About I, I always it. think they're, they're photographers Viagra. It's like when, when, when you can't get your kicks off with the 5D or the Nikon, this or that, it's just a different way of looking at it, looking through that, that range finder and being able to see outside of the lens. Totally. It's different. Outside of the lens. I love it. And then having to be manual, taking yeah. a light reading, you know. If yeah, because the M2 is like totally, totally. It doesn't even have a light meter, does it? It has no light yeah. meter. Yeah, it's fully, I mean, the thing's, thing was like in World 2 probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, on, on the wrong old. side. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> yeah. the thing's so old. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything. But it using something that you don't normally use, it also, you know, triggers that, oh, I have to slow down. I have to figure these things out and brings you into the moment. Yeah. Whereas when, uh, you know, when I have my Sony, bam, bam, I know my settings. I see what the image is going to be like when I put it on the computer screen back at home. Right. But with the Leica, it's like, oh, then I, I get that film back and it. I'm psyched. Yeah. I'm what are you going to see? Yeah, what are you exactly. see? Yeah. One of my favorite photos that you've taken is you were, I don't know what you took the photo with, but you were, you were looking down on the, um, like a four by four or a two and a quarter Mamiya or a, Hasselblad or something. And it was the photo of the LR4 looking down and you can see the scorched earth and kind of the cracked planet and, and the tripod. And yeah, that's yeah. totally captures that. Yeah. That was a, a Mamiya 535C, I believe. 
um, and we were out there shooting the LR4 for yeah. you. Yep. And yeah, I mean, that was a time, you know, that was a crazy day, actually. Let me tell you about that day. That was the day I found out that I was going to have my son, Cooper. Oh, wow. So that yeah. photo is even more. Yeah, yeah. Important. I mean, I remember that day so crystal yeah. clear because, you know, my ex-wife Stephanie came down and she she's she's like, "Hey, I've got, you know, I've got some news." Uh, okay, what? <laughs> and she, you know, she's like, "We're going to have a baby." And I was like, "Uh, is that good news, bad news? Where are where are we with this?" <laughs> yeah. You know, but I still had to go shoot that car. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so we drove out to El Mirage and shot it. Oh, and, man. Um, I brought all the gear out because I wasn't sure how we wanted to shoot it, but it was really one of those things where I wanted to do something different. Yeah. You know, so we did it with the, the Mamiya. Yeah. That was such a cool photograph looking down on that camera and seeing the right, vehicle right. in the viewfinder. I, I guess it is a viewfinder. Yep. Right? Yeah. That was so cool. Oh, that's amazing. You got a map. I know. I got a lot of things. I, I was going to talk about Lycos, but well, we can talk about I don't know much about Lycos. I've got two. You've, you've, they're neat. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how much does the gear matter? The, yeah, can yeah. I also have a beer? Is that something that we can ask can for? We ask for beer. I mean, if the guest asks like beer. first, beer's cool. <laughs> oh, we got we got to make sure we talk about the traverse though. That's a key yeah traverse oh, key, key, key piece of this. I mean, because Utah traverse, if you guys have heard of it, I mean, that's you. That's that, your yeah. Sinways thing. Yeah, yeah, the Utah traverse. I mean, and I guess we go back to what we were, we were talking about before we got into the cameras. Is you know, for me, a big thing. Oh, beers. This is a little luxury. You know you made it big when a production person brings you. You're, Ryan, you're just a production person now. <laughs> Us big on. I'd like to point out that it's snowing out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love it. It's nice and cozy in here. It yeah. is March in Arizona. Yeah. March. Anything can happen. Exactly. Anything can happen. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know. I, I just think it's so cool that we're doing this. I mean, without getting gushy, Sinway, I've, I've like, I've looked up to, you know, your work and you, I think for like more than half of my life. And it's cool. It's just, it's just interesting for me. Like, cause you were, you were 15. Or whatever. <laughs> I joined Expedition Portal when I was 15 years old. Um, Hello, it's double ARP. Uh, is Sinway there? <laughs> oh, I'm the oldest in this room. By, by, by a couple months. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm the youngest. You can, you can take that. I'm the youngest in this room. There you go. I'll take that. But no, I mean, it, it's just cool. I mean, I think in, in the same way that, you know, you were talking about, you realized you could do whatever you wanted. And I think there's just a, maybe a, a personality mindset of that, you know, that explorer gene or, or whatever that is. It's just like, if you want something, just go get it. You know, you can find a way to do it. And it, I don't know, a little bit of it's coming full circle to me, just, you know, sitting around with like two guys that I've looked up to and- oh. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it it's not easy, you know, making that decision that you're going to not follow the the path of the typical, yeah. get a job, go to work nine to five and work for somebody else and make money for somebody else. Yeah. Like that's the easy route, but it's also- Not that people don't work hard at that. No, right? no, no. Right. I, it's not for me. I mean, it works for a lot of people. It's, if I you, was a terrible employee. I'm a, I'm a terrible employee. You can ask Scott. <laughs> when I worked for Scott, I was a terrible employee. Yeah. So was I. Cheers. <laughs> there we go. But it wasn't terrible. I was just neither of you were terrible. I was twenty-one <laughs> and usually hungover. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a it's a tough it's a tough route to choose. But you know, you you learn your you know. For me, it's it's always been the little wins yeah. keep the momentum going, and and you get those little wins that get you to the big wins, mm. and you know, and then you get back to the little wins. And you just got to keep those little wins going. And yeah. 
It depends on, on what it is. Sometimes, you know, it was always great working with Overland Journal because to me, those were always little wins getting, yeah. you know, getting a cover and getting a story published and going on these adventures. It was, you know, like it was this great thing that kept me alive when I was stuck in advertising, mm-hmm. sitting in some boardroom trying to sell a big car company on why we had to go to Chile to shoot <laughs> their car because you've been like all over for these commercials. I've been super lucky that way. Yeah. Super lucky that way. Yeah, and I, I'm not convinced that a life of convention is any safer or more predictable, actually, because you know, you always hear of the person they worked for the job for 40 years and they retire and they fall over a couple months later or the company shuts down and all the business moves to another country. And, and I don't, I don't think that the life of adventure or of, you know, kind of going eschewing convention, even in your professional life, I think you actually maybe have a better outcome in some ways because you're, you're better tuned yeah, you're to in deal control. With, yeah. And you're better tuned to deal with irregularities and things that come yeah. up and you have more skills in the, in the toolbox. I think a lot of times, I mean, I know like when I went out on my own, it was terrifying to be like in your early twenties and you know, you're trying to figure something out. I moved to Australia with like $4.50 to my name to work for a magazine. And I don't know. Now, the way I think of it is it, it actually terrifies me to not have my future in my own control mm. working for some big company and you're about to retire. And oh, yeah, well, your benefits vest tomorrow. So we're going to fire you today or or, or whatever it is, or the the, the the accountants embezzling the money and you're yeah. screwed and you're just out of a job. Um, as the know, Enron employees or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think well, it's like a, these people that go on guided overlays. Yeah. It's the weirdest. Thing. I, I was out in the uh, Arizona Strip and I saw this, this dust trail, like a dust trail I've never seen before. Like the Baja 1000s. It was like the Baja 1000 was yeah. coming. Right. 60 trucks. Wow. All kitted. I mean, kitted. Like ready I, to go around the world. Ready, ready to go around the world. And I, they, I don't know how that's enjoyable. The outdoors is like a per, such a personal thing for me. Yeah. It was the bizarre, it was the most bizarre thing. And I was at this junction. By the schoolhouse. Okay, sure. It, it, yeah, what's the, the Mount Trumbull? Yep. Yeah, Trumbull Schoolhouse. So I was at this junk and I just kind of waited for them to come because I, I wanted to see what this was all about. And they show up and it was a guided tour. And they were going to that ranch that was down towards the, uh, the Grand Canyon. Phantom? Not the Phantom. That's No, the, that's the one you hiked to. Yeah, it was like Bar okay. 10. Bar 10 Ranch. Bar 10, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All 60 of these trucks were going to the Bar 10. Really? What, what are you guys doing? And there were people from. Florida, drove all the way from Florida, from Washington, Oma, from Chicago. And I was just like, what are you guys doing? And they're telling me, well, we're, you know, we're on this guided thing. We're going to go drive down to the bar 10. Then we drive to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. Then we drive to the South Rim. What is this? It's all in Google. Yeah. Like, (laughs) why are you, why are you paying somebody to suck someone else's dust? Yeah. And like, there's no adventure. Let me play devil's advocate here is, you know, we've all been doing this for a long time. You, you guys more than me, that first time you go off road, like I, I still have, you know, I'm, I'm one of those dudes from Chicago and I remember like nothing wrong with Chicago, I like the windy city. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all right. Go Cubbies. But, um, you know, for somebody that a young person that was from Chicago, I remember like going to Mexican hat in Utah my first time as I was I mean, the first time I drove to the West coast is when I was moving here to, you know, start at OJ and that was scary. You know, it was, it was, it was just something that I had never experienced before. And where I don't have a problem with those trips is if those people take that experience and they realize this sucks, this actually isn't that terrifying. And then they go out on their own. I think one of the problems I'm seeing in the industry is it's all about group runs. It's group this, it's 
all of these like massive amounts of people going and you know you have to move away from that stuff i feel but that's just well, and like also my opinion the, man the trails can't take that no. kind of abuse i mean no. we, it needs to be small groups otherwise i mean imagine i can't even think about what 60 trucks would do to a campsite yeah it's now a giant campsite i guess I think that they were staying at the bar tent on oh, their got property. It. Got it. Like, to, to that's, that's good. You know, and then yeah. when they were going Sounds to the the grant the north, uh, gotcha. and they were probably staying in some. You know, gotcha. like, I can't. Sixty trucks wouldn't fit. Yeah. sublime. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but that I Thank mean, that's goodness. another. You know, that's another point. Is you know, like this whole group thing. I think Jack Quinlan, who is a mentor of mine within the overlanding world. You know, he has a, a really strict rule of no less than three, no more than five. Yeah, he's right. And I think impact to campsites, like you were mentioning, is that's super important, yeah. you know, because you see these, these groups of 15, 20 trucks and they show up somewhere and everybody wants to be, they want to be together, but they want to be apart. Yeah. So it just spreads. Yeah. And, oh, well, you know, this sagebrush won't mind too bad yeah. if I drive over it or... These bushes won't mind too bad. I'm the. Oops, it wasn't me. That was me. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, no I, one's gonna, you know, no one's gonna mind if I do it. Blah 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 blah. But then the next time you go, oh, someone drove there. I'm gonna drive yeah. there. But That's I think we've takes. all seen it. I think you know. I think like the UTV guys catch a lot of flack, but I wonder, you know, they maybe catch more flack for the the condition of trails. But it's not going to be long before overlanders start catching flack for condition of campsites, off trail use. You know, I, I know like we spent some time in Colorado this summer in the San Juans. Like I used to live in Ridgeway. I know the San Juans like the back of my hand and I'm going to places and there's like, here comes like a crown Vic coming up. You know, I forgot where I was, but there's, I don't know. There's a lot of use right now. There's a lot of use. And I, and, and, and I've said it before, like somebody from the forest service, please contact us or something. Cause there needs to be more management, um, for overlanders. Like right now, I don't think anybody knows where to kind of put these people. Are they, RVers? Are they recreational four-wheel drivers? Like, what are they? How do we treat them? And it's it's going to become an issue. I mean, this industry is doubling every year, um, and we're just seeing more and more vehicles. We're, we're going to have the Bronco come out. We're going to have we just had the Defender come out. We, we're having these like purpose-built vehicles, and you're getting people that, in the same way that maybe UTVs, and I'm not picking on UTVs, but it brought a lot of new blood into off-roading. Well, we're having the same thing happen, except now it's with 7,000-pound vehicles, and we're actually destroying habitat we're destroying parts of the environment and I, I think that's something that we all have to be a little bit sensitive to well of course like uh, you never even you won't tell anybody from what i remember like where the photo was taken like isn't your rule like i'll show you but i'll never tell you pretty pretty strict rule yeah i mean there's not very many exceptions to that rule at all unless and, maybe it's a well-known yeah if it's a well-known yeah. location yeah I like I, I just i just did like a week-long trip in the earth roamer and i, I don't even want to say where it is because it was so wonderful i didn't see a single rooftop tent for a week straight and it was beautiful and pristine and you could drive for hours and not see a structure. And unfortunately now where I'm at is I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to talk about it because all of these places, I'm not saying that we're influencing this or I don't want to be that conceited, but once these places kind of get out there, it's that Instagram me too culture. It's like how, um, what, what's the bend, um, in Arizona horseshoe bend, horseshoe bend. Yeah. The first time I went there, like you, it was, you a, dirt, it was a dirt parking was lot a dirt just parking a couple lot. years ago. Yeah. And now you have to pay to get into it. And, and yeah. there's like, yeah. at, at the, the last time I went, I took a friend friend from Chicago that went to school with, there's a parking lot filled with tour buses, you know, like at what point, and, and maybe this is a different discussion, but at what point can you just stop talking about those places? 
Well, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing because we're, we're in the business of inspiring people, you know, however, with that comes the responsibility of teaching them how to do it in a style that doesn't hurt the environment. Doesn't, you're not geotagging or there's a little bit of, you know, in mountaineering where I come from. There's different styles, right? There's the Alpine style. Reinhold Messner goes without oxygen, backpack. Maybe he has a Sherpa. He's like the guy's insane. Right. Um, and then there's the full on hiring the guides with 20 Sherpas. Wall Street Mountaineering. The Wall Street Mountaineering. You know, there's nothing wrong with how you climb a mountain. Everyone's going to climb that mountain. So how do we take that mountaineering kind of perspective and bring it to overlanding? Where yeah. I think myself, the way I do it, I'm on the very Alpine side. I'm very minimalist. I don't hardly ever set up a tent even, let alone a rooftop tent. Um, when I'm with my kid, I'm in a sprinter van, maybe. I'm super minimalist. I'm Alpine style. And then you go to the other side where it's got the rooftop tent, you've got the, the porta potty yeah. tent, you've got the changing tent, you've got the spare room. And those things all get thrown out into places that are like habitat for things and sure. shouldn't. That's not the campsite. Sure. It'll, it always does. How do we, as an industry, educate those coming into it that there's a proper style and a not so proper style. Yeah. And I, and I hate to say wrong. It usually it just comes from not knowing. Well, uh, those are all really important points. And I, I think you're right, Sinway. It does come back to gaining understanding, helping to educate your fellow travelers. Um, as travelers, that we take the time to learn about the sensitivities of a place like cryptobiotic soil in yeah. Moab, like learn about those things. So that way, if we don't take responsibility for ourselves as an industry and as travelers, then the government's going to do it for us and they never do it Anywhere we near, don't want that <laughs> anywhere no near as no. near as elegant. So, yeah. uh, but along those lines, uh, that's kind of the spirit also of your Utah Traverse is this is kind of the way you go, but you can pick your other routes if you want. Well, the Utah Traverse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, jeez, <laughs> leave it to the that's ginger. That is the first time I've done that in the podcast. You realize that everyone that has been on the podcast says you're a ginger? Really? I mean, like my beard's kind of ginger. No, Prince Harry got kicked out of the monarchy, not because his child, because he was a ginger. (laughs) Well, consider me royalty then. The Utah Traverse really got started when I was traveling from Vail, Colorado to to Los Angeles. And I was in the transition from snowboard photography into commercial work. Not that snowboard photography wasn't commercial work, but it was kind of a joke. And the I-70 to I-15 shuffle is really, it's a great Z way to go. But I started breaking it up and I was really fortunate. I was really fortunate with uh, Steve Casimiro to drop in on a National Geographic job in Boulder, back in 99 or 2000 our assignment was wild roads wow it was basically mm-hmm. like go shoot photos of the roads surrounding you know this new national monument that we have the grand staircase escalani and i think we drove 3000 miles in 10 days wow we were based out of boulder and so when i started this commute i started kind of dipping down dipping down and i was always camping trying to find the different campsites and I'd mark it on this Google map. And as I started looking, the dots had this route. Yeah. And as I got more and more into, you know, canyoneering, 2005, 2006, turned into, oh, there's this canyon here, there's this canyon there. But then this route just kind of zigzagged 
hit all these high points. The Grand Staircase of Canyonlands, Moab area, all the way over to the Incompagre Plateau to Telluride. And I think, you know, we were pro- it was probably 2010, 2011 when you and I, Scott, we, yeah. we started talking about Tatraverse. It was this, this little idea. Great idea. You know, what what this route could be. Because it basically goes from Skeet, Nevada, all the way to Telluride with 900 miles total and 90 miles of its pavement. And even the pavement is magic. The pavement is super magic. Super good. Super good. Super good. There's not a bad way. Everything south of I-70 and east of I-15 is magic. That part of the world has to be one of the most beautiful and varied parts of the world. We've all had the pleasure of seeing a lot of the world. I don't know. I always go back to Utah. Like if somebody was put me on the spot, what's the most beautiful place in the world? Utah always comes to mind. Certainly in my top three. Yeah, for sure. So what is your kind of your vision for that? And tell the, those that are listening, how they can find out more information about the Utah Traverse. What are some of your goals around that, that you'd like to share? Um, And how can people find out more information about what you're doing with that project and maybe what your future plans are around it? So ultimately, I mean, in, in a wish come true type of situation, it would be you know, a national scenic byway Yeah, that they designate here are these points. And, and that's the key is it's, it's not a route. It's not this line that you can It's not call. a GPX file. It's not. It's these different points that you want to get to. Mm. The Mount Trumbull Schoolhouse is one. You know, Powell Point another yeah uh bull run gorge is another you know but it's how you get to those points the in between spaces that's up to you yeah you know and it's choose your own adventure yeah sometimes you need gas sometimes you need food you know it sometimes you need a shower and it's that's okay there's no right or wrong way to do it but if you want to have the true experience of the utah traverse you hit certain points You spend the night and you watch the sunrise from Powell Point because that being the highest point of the Grand Staircase Escalani, it's a spot you should see the sunrise from. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. You know, and now that I'm living back in Vail, I want to take it all the way from Telluride and extend it through the Continental Divide all the way up to Wyoming. You know, I I did the route with Land Rover when we did the um, 25th anniversary of the, the Great Divide Tour. That route that um, Tom Collins put together. It's magical. And I'd like to put something similar together that connects to where you could ride your motorcycle, drive your car, truck from steamboat all the way to Mesquite, Nevada and have minimal pavement, you know, but there, again, it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just hit these points. Here's, here's these highlights that you should hit. It's such a cool concept. Hit those highlights. You're going to have a great time. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that I think you add because there's, there's other routes that are similar, but it seems to me that like, if you look at the Transamerica trail, for example, it's just, it had the one goal of just crossing as much of the country on dirt as possible. Whereas you, it seems like you had the the time and the desire for it to be these very intense visual experiences that you'd have in these different locations. And that is very different. That's what I noticed when we rode the trans, the uh, Utah Traverse on the BMWs is it is just gorgeous. Like it's so stunning. That was the difference. It wasn't just about let's stick to a dirt route or let's make it super challenging. It was just visually incredible. Yeah. Well, I think that comes from me being a photographer. I think visually, so, yeah. visually oriented. And 
when people ask, you know, because I, I get private messages, I get emails all the time, and I get the route, mm-hmm. can I da, 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 can I go from Telluride to Mesquite? Mm-hmm. And I go, you can do it any way you want. This is the way I suggest doing it. I suggest doing it Mesquite to Telluride because I personally like sleeping in. The light when you're riding into camp is usually gorgeous. Yeah. You know, it's not your backlit. Your, yeah. your backlit you, the sun's behind you. Sun's gorgeous. You're not riding into the sunset, mm-hmm. driving into the sunset. That's something I never would have thought of. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, Brilliant. It's like, yeah, you can go from, tell, you know, you can go from east to west, but the second half of your day is going to be, be squinty. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah. makes, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So, and, and that we did a little article on that for Overland Journal a few years ago. And I think that the, the imagery turned out so great on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a kind of a basic thing. You know, you take a photo class 101, they're like, have the sun behind your back at 30 yeah. degrees. Yeah. And okay, that's going to be a pretty decent photo. So while you're driving or riding your motorcycle, here you are with this, you know, 180 degree view that's gorgeous. Yeah. Through one of the most gorgeous, the Colorado Plateau, it gets no better. Yeah. It's have pretty- the light good. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good, right? Yeah. It's, it's super good. And so what's, what's coming up for you? What are some things, what are some trips that you've got on your horizon? Well, you know, COVID's kind of screwed some things up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get back down to Columbia uh, with elephant expeditions and Joe, um, I'd love to get, he has a, uh, he's expanded from motorcycles into, yeah, four I think rides. he has a, a fleet of uh, land cruisers yep. or something along those lines, Prados so. maybe. Um, so I, I'd really love to get down to, to Columbia again. I, I mean, I'm just itching to, you know, a year ago at this time I was in the Azores of, uh, of Portugal and I haven't been anywhere. Yeah. I haven't been on a plane in over a year and I'm just like itching to go somewhere. Sure. It's a huge I'm, lifestyle change, right? It's, it's, it's insane. I mean, going from you know, flying 200,000 miles a year, yeah. to zero wild. It is wild. It's super wild. But I mean, let's just, it's wild, but it's also made me appreciate the local stuff. Yeah. And I've had to explore some things that I kind of have taken for granted for the last five, six years while I've had the luxury of going to Australia and Chile and Alaska and Europe multiple times a year. It's like, all right, back to the Utah Traverse. I've been doing that again. You know, like I've driven sections of it on these trips that I've been doing, you know, back and forth. It's great. Yeah. You know, and a really interesting thing happened when I was out on the Arizona Strip last November. I ran into a ranger from Toroweep and he grew up there. Wow. His grandfather was a logger up on Trumbull. And we wow. ran into each other and he's the nicest guy, the nicest ranger, been a ranger there for 20 years. And it's like, I'm coming back, making it macro again and mm. being out in the world. It's, it's a new appreciation for the yeah. Southwest, you know, where to me is my, that's my, my home. Yeah. It feels like the right place to be. Yeah. How can people find out more about what you do? How can they follow you on the Instagram and, and your website? And how do people find out more about you and the work that you do? Uh, best place uh, website is super boring because it's just commercial work and you know, it's stuff that big corporations paid me to do. So that's boring, you know, and those corporations are lame, boring. Um, boring. Uh, Instagram's kind of cool, but it's kind of curated and curated lives are boring. 
referring. Yeah. Uh, but both SinwayXavier.com, SinwayXavier at Instagram. And how do we spell Sinway? S-I- why do you want to make fun of my hippie mom? <laughs> Like, I'm not making saved fun my of my life. <laughs> I know how to save my life. She created your life. <laughs> yeah. You can spell S I N H U E. No, it's not H U E. It's not. You just blew it. <laughs> you guys know me for 15 years. Blew it. It's not H. No. S I N U H E. S I N U H E X A V. Sin U A. Sin It's pronounced Sin I don't know where these white people are coming up with this stuff. I grew up surrounded by corn. My name is Matt, and I have three first names. Sorry. Don't look at me like that. What's your three first names? (laughs) Matthew James Scott. I think it sounds kind of presidential. I don't know. Maybe I should run. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe you could be the the president of the uh, Prescott Rotary Club. (laughs) That'd be a good good start. So now that I've told you not how to spell his name, sorry. And I guess I think on a on kind of parting thoughts, uh, what would you? What kind of advice would you give to someone just getting started in in all of this? They want to. They would love photography. They they took it in high school and they see the world in a different way, or they want to be a traveler or an overland. Like, what are some basic things, or what what's your Kind of the things that you've learned the hard way that you would want to share with somebody that's just starting to take the same journey that you did decades ago. Get used to eating sardines. Sardines will keep you alive for a can of sardines will keep you alive for two days. Okay. (laughs) No. Um, you know, the the thing is, is if you want to be a photographer, shoot. Doesn't matter what you shoot on. It's your iPhone. It's your Samsung, it's your phone. Like, shoot, find your point of vision. Find where your your point of view is and the stories you want to tell. Everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has experiences things in different ways. And telling that story is important, you know? And everybody's going to find, you know, there's an audience out there for your story. But nobody's going to, that audience isn't going to be there if you don't tell it. Mm. So tell it. Start somewhere. For me, within the Overland community, it was a stupid BBS on Expedition Exchange. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it oh, was man. ridiculous. The plumber snorkel thread. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was Leg- one of the legendary. most legendary. <laughs> I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing I made on the it. planet. I made it. You, I'm sure you did. <laughs> totally did. You made it onto the snorkel. I'm sure I did too. I was everybody, deserved Everybody <laughs> made it onto the I think the I made it when I was 17. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, it's like, you just have to tell your story and then it develops and things don't happen overnight. You have to gain that experience. Go out there, shoot, learn from your mistakes. Don't be afraid to reach out to your mentor or who you want to be your mentor. Everyone's accessible these days. Yeah. And if you're a dick, you don't answer. Yeah. I mean, I have people reach out to me all the time and I'm like, Hey, yeah, cool. Like if I have time, I engage. If I don't, I say, I'm sorry, I'm super swamped right now and can't deal. Yeah. Tell your story, shoot your photos, learn from your mistakes and keep pushing it. And the main thing is don't get caught up in all the stuff. Go out. If you've got a Toyota Tercel, go car camp and you want to car camp, go car camping. doesn't matter. You don't need the winch and the roof rack and the max tracks. <laughs> and you're staying at my house tonight. <laughs> you know, just like go out, do it. Like, yeah. Have fun, sleep under the stars. And like, you don't even need the tent. You don't need the Gore-Tex. Yeah. Or the expensive camera. You can get away well, with, you can take some really great photos with something simple too. Exactly. Get artsy, yeah. get, you know, 
know, buy the disposable camera at the gas station. Yeah. So anyway, thanks so much for taking the time today to get on the podcast with us. It's, it has been such a pleasure for me to have had Definitely. you in, in my life and, and the, the places that we've been and the things that I've learned from you. I'm just really grateful for you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. And I'd like to take this opportunity to tell a little story about Scott Brady. His <laughs> This guy, I got dropped off on the wrong side of the Mexican border one time and he could have crossed without me. And I was standing in this line all by myself. No clue how I was going to get to the other side. I mean, this line, this line was huge. It was like a vaccine line today. Scott Brady comes walking up after about 20 minutes and goes, I couldn't leave you here. And that to this day, that's always stuck with me. Scott Brady's all right. I'll be on your podcast anytime. <laughs> Thanks, one. Now we got we got uh, dinner, I think, to go. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Right Thanks, on. Thanks, Inway. Appreciate it. And on that note, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>